My name is Alex DeRosa, and I'm our Family Life Pastor, and it is good to be with you today as we kick off our summer series called One Thing Remains. I'm so excited about our summer series, and we're in pineapples today, so I'm ready, ready for summer, ready to talk about what we're going to talk about, and what we're doing is we're focusing on three different themes. So it's one series, but with kind of three different subheadings in there. We're going to start by talking about Jonah And then we're going to talk about Ruth, and we're going to talk about, after those, how God's promise in his word says that there's three gifts that he gives us that are greater than the rest. They're faith, hope, and love. And out of all of those, love remains always. And so we can know this, of the three eternal gifts of God, the greatest is love. We can put our hope in a lot of things in this world. There are a lot of sure things that will definitely fail. We can trust in the world, but it will eventually break down like everything of the world. But God's love never fails. No matter if we try to run from it or assume that we don't need it, God's love never fails. And so we're going to see that in the life of a man named Jonah and how God was good during all the circumstances when Jonah wasn't good. And the people of Nineveh weren't good. God's love still remained true. We're going to look at Ruth and her life and how God's love was all throughout that story. And then finally, yeah, we're going to talk about faith, hope, and love. And it's going to be an incredible summer. I want to encourage you to continue being with us as we go through it. But today, we're starting with Jonah. And we're actually going to read the wholeness of Jonah chapter 1, but we're going to break it up. We're going to talk about little bit by little bit, and we're going to discover who this guy named Jonah is and what he has to do with our lives today and how we can apply it to living more like God has created us to be. But before we dive in there, let us pray. Let us ask God to reveal in his word how our lives can be different, how we can grow closer to God through reading Jonah chapter 1. Let's pray. Dear God, right now I pray that you will speak through your word, your word that's alive, your word that transforms lives. God, I pray that we leave here not only gaining some head knowledge, but, being, but by being transformed by you, we look more like your son, more like you designed us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start in Jonah chapter 1. We're going to kick it off reading verses 1 through 3. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. So we meet Jonah and it doesn't start off so well. We meet Jonah and God says, get up. Now it's important to know a couple things about Jonah as we dive in. The first thing is Jonah was a real person. This isn't a fairy tale that we're talking about. This isn't a parable that's just teaching us a lesson. This was someone who really existed and lived on this planet. We know that because Jesus references him in Matthew 12 and Luke 11. He talks about Jonah being a real person, about being a prophet, how we can learn from the actions of the prophet Jonah. And it also talks about him in the book of 2 Kings, which 
Chronicles, well, there's actually a book called Chronicles as well, but they both, they both talk about different kings that take place. And in talking about Jeroboam II, we hear about Jonah for the first time. So let's read from 2 Kings 14.25. It says, Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between Lebo Hamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. So we see that Jonah has done this work already, that he was a prophet of the Lord. Now, we know that Jonah is just a normal guy because we just saw him run away from God's call. He's an ordinary person, which reminds us that God is always using ordinary people to do extraordinary things, and he wants to do the same thing in our lives today as well. We also see that Jonah's previous assignment, we don't know if it was his first one or if it was the one right before this call to go to Nineveh, was kind of an easier one. He went to go tell Jeroboam too that he had some land that didn't belong to God's people but was going to belong to God's people, and then it happened, and the people celebrated, and they were thrilled. And now that was a good assignment. We would all be prophets if that was the only assignments that we got. Go to a powerful person, tell them that they're going to get good things, and then they get good things. So Jonah did that, and he probably had some success doing that. But now we see God go to Jonah again and he tells him to get up. Now, I don't know if Jonah was asleep during this time or not. The Hebrew phrase, get up, can be translated to arise or to rise up. So what we can glean, what we can learn from this is God is challenging Jonah. He's saying, I have a job for you to do. Go to Nineveh. I've seen their wicked deeds. Tell them my judgment. And Jonah doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to get up. He doesn't want to wake up as God's calling him to. And there's a point where we can look at Jonah and kind of dismiss him or think less of him. But let's be honest, waking up is sometimes hard. Sometimes just the act of waking up isn't easy. We, we hit the snooze button over and over. We sometimes sleep right through the snooze button. Sometimes we don't even set an alarm. I know for me in college, I had this one embarrassing incident where I was asleep on my futon because I was in college, and you had a futon in college, and it wasn't in the, uh, the, the couch form. It was in the bed form, and as I was asleep, one of the wooden things broke, and so I was kind of like in a crevice, and I was uncomfortable, and I just couldn't continue being asleep. And then my dad went to work at 3 a.m., as he does. And so as he left, I, I went and snuck into his room, which I wasn't allowed to as a kid, but as an adult, I found out that was my right. So I went in there, and I slept, but I didn't bring my alarm or anything with me, which normally would be okay. I woke up at 9.45, but this day, I had a final exam at 9 a.m. And so I woke up panicked. And I called my friend who was getting out of that final exam. And I said, can you just give the, the, the phone to the professor? And I told the professor the story, the whole thing about the futon and the, the crevice. And I said, can I please take the test at 1030 as soon as I get in there? And he said, sure. So thankfully, it was one of my very last classes I was able to graduate. But waking up sometimes is, is just difficult. There's a book called Rise. It was written by a guy named Trip Lee. And he talks about this. He talks about how there's these lies that we tell ourselves when we are supposed to wake up, when we want to sleep in. We might say something like, well, do we really need to be there on time? Do I really need to take a shower? It's been a, only one day. Do I need to, to have breakfast? I could just grab a Pop-Tart on the way out. And we say these lies to ourselves until finally, Tripoli says, we wake up and we realize those lies and those excuses and those reasons for not getting up didn't really matter. And the five minutes at 10 minutes that made him late 
were never worth it, those extra sleep. And then he started re- referring to his call by God. And he said when he first got called by God, he dismissed it. He made excuses just like when he wouldn't wake up from bed. He made excuses like, I'm too young. I don't know enough. I don't have the, the training to do what you're calling me to do. But he finally comes to this realization. He shares in his book and he says, I know I could try to wait until later, but I intend to do it now, the calling that God put on his heart. I have the choice between sleeping in or getting up, and I choose to rise. In life, we are given the same opportunity. The same thing that Trip Lee was given, the same thing that Joan was given, we are being challenged by God to rise up, to listen to the call that he's put on our lives. And sure, we can make a ton of rational excuses not to listen. They might even sound good, and we might even go to our friends, and they agree with those reasons. We might say, well, I don't want to be made fun of. I don't want my family to think less of me. I don't want to sacrifice something. It might be too hard or too uncomfortable. I might die. And all of those things might very well be true. But if it's God's plan, none of that stuff matters. Because even though Jonah was was hearing from God, he made some excuses, and he went the other way. And we know, as we even read this, that that's not what you should be doing. We, We sense that. But as we look at Jonah, we can kind of get some idea of why he was wandering away. We look at history. Nineveh was the center of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire was this huge military force that was going out destroying cities. And so as Jonah hears from God, he's thinking this. But he's also probably thinking that this is a point in history where the Ninevites were not actively attacking God's people. They were at peace. And so God's calling him to go into the evil nation and tell them that basically they're all going to hell if they don't repent. That's not an easy thing. Like put it in perspective, maybe because I'm watching Obi-Wan Kenobi right now. It would be like if we were told to to venture in, kind of fly a little uh, X-wing or something, fly into the Death Star and go up to Darth Vader and say, hey, Darth Vader, just so you know, everyone here is going to hell if you don't repent and turn to God. That's scary. I don't want to do that. And so Jonah probably feels his fear and he goes, I don't know. So he goes away and he goes to Joppa. But as we look at that, we can start to realize that if God is calling us to do something, he has a good plan. It might take sacrifice. It might be uncomfortable. But if it's God's plan, it's a good plan. And spoiler alert, we're going to get to the end of Jonah in a couple weeks, but let me tell you what happens. Jonah arrives. Eventually, he turns around, and he does rise, and he does show up to the Ninevites, and he tells them about God, and they repent, and they're not destroyed. And a cool thing we learn from history is that the Assyrian Empire never attacks God's people again. So God was faithful. He knew what he was doing, even though Jonah couldn't see the plan. In our lives, we don't always see the plan. We can make a ton of excuses. We might even say, God, there's no way you would call me. But here, we can know this. When God wants you to do something, you are the right person for the task simply because God wants you to do it. If God's calling you to do something, you're the right person for it. You can have any excuse you want. We can make up some good excuses. I've made up a lot of good excuses in, in, in my time being called into ministry. But here's the thing. If God's calling us, we're the right person. He knows what he's doing, and he wants to use us for his mighty call. So as we think about where God might be calling us to serve him, we can know that God has a good plan. And the cool thing is he was calling Jonah not only to change the hearts of the Ninevites. He wanted to change the heart of Jonah as well. 
And one of the most powerful ways for our lives and our hearts to change is by serving God. Whether it's ministering to those that are in your spheres of influence, your, your teammates, your neighbors, your family. Whether it's serving on a team at New Life. And we have the New Life students team right here. They're, they're taking this call and they're, they're doing it right now. Or it's going on a missions trip. Whatever it is, when we do that, we are transformed as well. God will use us to impact other lives, but he'll impact our lives as well. We know this. When we serve God and obey him, we are changed. We become more as God designed us to be. So the same choice, God goes to Jonah and says, rise up, wake up. He's giving that call to us today. So here's our take-home points. The one point that comes from God's word, the one point that we're going to focus on throughout this whole message, and I pray that is in your head as we leave here. It's this, God has a plan to use you for his purpose. God has a specific plan for you right now, today, for this summer. God wants to use you for his purpose. He put Jonah where Jonah was for a reason. In that time, with the Ninevites, with the Assyrian Empire, he knew what he was doing. He even knew that Jonah was going to disobey. God put Jonah there for a reason, and he's put you in your situation for a reason as well. Put you in your job, in your marriage, in your workplace, on your team, whatever it is, for a reason. He wants to use those circumstances that you're in for his glory. So what do we do? Well, I think we can look at Jonah's life and we can learn both what to do and what not to do by seeing how he reacts to running away. Let's continue reading in Jonah 1, 4 through 6. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Now we're going to learn in a couple verses that Jonah had already told them his purpose for leaving. He told them he was running away from the Lord. So this captain's coming to him knowing that he worships the one true God. Now he might not acknowledge at this point that he worships the one true God, but he's going to Jonah and saying, can you pray to your God? There's something inside of this captain who doesn't acknowledge God yet as Lord that knows that God is the one true God. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to pray for someone in your life that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe they're going through a really hard time and they come to you and say, hey, I maybe don't believe in this stuff, but you do. Can you please pray for me? These are good opportunities where God is using a circumstance, just like he's using with this captain, to pull people towards him. In those moments, what we can learn from this is we don't go, I told you so. Instead, we say, yeah, absolutely, I can pray. And that's even a good opportunity to pray in that moment, to pray over the phone or in person. Or even I've prayed over text messages when people come and ask for prayer. The other thing we can notice that happens here is what the captain says to Jonah. He tells him to get up. Now, I don't know that, that well, I will say this. I do know that this isn't a coincidence. Because I believe that God knows what he's doing. And God has already called Jonah to get up. And Jonah doesn't. He goes the other way. So God, in his amazing mercy and grace, gives Jonah, presents to him another opportunity, and he does it through a very unlikely source, the ship's captain, who says the very same phrase, get up, or arise, or rise up. He challenges him to get up and to respond, and let's see what happens. 
Jonah 1, 7 through 8 says this. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah was just scared when he got on this boat, right? He was just fearful of what was going to happen if he went to the Ninevites. But instead, he turns and he's now facing the ship's captain, and he has to respond. He's put in another life or death situation. There's a storm going around. There's these angry sailors. He just saw them throw all their cargo, probably their food, overboard, and now they're looking at him and saying, it's your fault. So Jonah has an opportunity to rise and to take action. And we've been pretty hard on him so far, but let's see what he does. Jonah answered in 1.9, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. He's face to face with these angry sailors, and he responds by claiming God as his own God. He tells him, all right, hey, I, I didn't listen to God before, but I'm going to listen to him now. He was challenged to get up, and he answers that challenge by saying, I worship God, the God of the land and the sea. Later on in God's word, we'll see Jesus, the Son of God, come to this earth and, and be on a boat where there was a storm happening, and Jesus calmed it with his voice. And now Jonah wouldn't have known that this was going to happen, but he did know that God had that power to do so. And so he claims it, that God is the God of land and sea. And he was able to take hold of this challenge and answer. And it's this great reminder that God is a God of forgiveness. That God forgave Jonah so much so that he was giving him this other opportunity. And God does the same thing for us. Psalm 103 verse 12 reminds us that God, he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. You see, God doesn't see us as our failures. He doesn't remember that stuff when he forgives it of us. He takes it and he throws it as far as the east is from the west, and they never meet. You see, later on, when, when Jesus comes to this earth, he eventually dies and rises, rises again from the grave. When he does that, he gives us the opportunity to gain forgiveness of our sins. So that we aren't known by our sins. So that we aren't known by our failures, but we are known by being a part of God's family. That we are known as the son or daughter of God. And when we're with Jesus, we aren't defined by our failures or yesterday's mistakes. It becomes so easy for us to define ourselves and other people by what people have done. We even do that with Jonah. You might have heard of Jonah before, and, and if you have, maybe the first thought in your mind was, oh yeah, that guy that ran away, that guy that disobeyed. But we see that God's given another opportunity, and he responds. In our lives, we get too comfortable with knowing us as our failures and as our mistakes, but that's not how God identifies us. That's not who we are in his name because of his forgiveness, because of the blood and redemption of Jesus. And listen, if you failed yesterday, if you failed this morning, know this. Just because we didn't get up yesterday or today doesn't mean we can't get up tomorrow. God's called us to live as a new person, not as the old person. And so as we have this opportunity given to us by God, let's take hold of it and respond accordingly. Let's continue reading about Jonah, who again, didn't get up at first, but did this time and really put himself in harm's way. Jonah 1, 10 through 12 says, The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. 
Oh, why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Jonah, he took hold of his actions, and he knew that there was going to be consequences for them, and he still owned up for them. And there's a powerful testimony in that. There's a powerful testimony in letting people know what we already know, that we're not perfect, and that we mess up. And he owns it in this moment. Now, I don't know if Jonah was aware enough to know exactly what God was doing. I wonder if he could see that God was using this circumstance to pull these sailors to him. I wonder if Jonah knew that God was using this circumstance, Jonah's flaws, Jonah's weakness, to shape Jonah into the man that God has created him to be. I know I don't always see that. I know a lot of times when there's a storm raging in my life, or even when things are calm, I'm so busy that I don't stop enough to see what God is doing and how he's at work in my life and the works of the lives around me. So Jonah says this, he claims this, and he says, hey, throw me overboard if you need to. Jonah 1, 13 through 16 continues. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Let's stop real quick there. These sailors are acknowledging that God has a good reason for sending this storm. They're seeing God at work. It continues, oh, Lord. You have sent, we'll read that again. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea. And the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. These sailors turned to God. In the storm, they turned to God. How cool is it that God called Jonah to go and preach the word to the Ninevites, and Jonah said no and went the other way, and God still used Jonah to turn a whole ship of people to the Lord our God. And what did they do? They marveled at his power. They said, all right, well, you have a good reason for this. And then they sacrificed to the Lord. They used, God used, rather, God used Jonah's mistake for his plan and his purpose. And it's this amazing reminder that just because we're not perfect and we're not perfect, that God can still use us for mighty works. Now, that's not an excuse to not be perfect because, oh, hey, God can use my mistakes, so I might as well just make some mistakes. That's not what we're doing. God has called us to live like him. But when we do make those mistakes, God can still use them in mighty ways. I first learned this when I was in high school. I was a senior in high school, and my youth pastor got in trouble. He was drinking and driving and he got in a wreck and he got a DUI and then the next day went to the lead pastor and told him, went to the elders of the church and told them and then he got in front of the church that weekend and I remember this service as vividly as if it was yesterday. I was there and he came clean, the whole church and he said, this is what I did and I've been struggling with alcoholism. I've, I've been struggling with, with alcohol for years and years and he asked for the forgiveness of God and the people there. And there was this amazing outpouring 
He ended up getting on his knees and he was weeping and people came out of the seats and they were laying hands and praying and showing their support. Now, there was consequences. There was consequences for Jonah. There was consequences for my youth pastor. He was removed from his position for a time. He went to AA. He had to do check a bunch of boxes. But eventually, God's forgiveness prevailed and he, he came back and, and he is still ministering to this day. And it's an amazing story of God's redemption and how God can transform lives. But I remember that moment so clearly. That God used his mistake to show his great love. And I got to experience in that moment. So again, it's not an excuse for us to make a mistake, but it is a reminder of this. Let's stop pretending we're perfect and instead show people we're only good because of God. Sometimes, at least for me, sometimes I feel this weight. I'm a Christian, especially I'm a pastor. I need to be perfect, and when I screw up, It becomes so scary that other people might see it. But here's the truth. We're only good because God's in our life. And there's power in owning that and saying, look at what God can do. Yes, I'm a mistake. I I made a mistake, rather. But God calls me his own, and God still loves me. This guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to a church in Corinth, and he talked about there was this thorn in his side that he was asking God to remove. And we don't know if it's a physical thorn or a spiritual one, but he says this to the people. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. This is God saying to him. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Jesus Christ can work through me. God used Jonah's weakness for his glory to pull people to himself, to show his mighty power, and to extend his forgiveness. And he can do the same in our lives as well. Jonah 1 ends this way with verse 17. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Fun fact about Jonah and the the giant fish, because we're going to talk about it more next week. Pastor Barry will will be here sharing about that. Uh, When we did our men's retreat in February, the Colonel Arthur Pace was our speaker, and he talked about Jonah, and he shared this fun fact that I liked, so I wanted to share it with you as well. And he said that there is no Hebrew word for uh, aquatic mammal, so they just used the same word to mean anything that was in the water. And so this very well could have been a giant fish or could have been a whale. We don't know. I only share that. I know that doesn't really affect anything. Thing, but I just shared it because I thought it was neat. I don't know. Maybe you don't. That's fine. Uh, but I, th- I thought it was interesting. I remember hearing when I was younger that no way could it be whale because it says fish. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I guess you got to learn Hebrew to know a little bit about that. I don't know. All right. So, but, so that probably doesn't change our lives, whether it's a fish or whale. But what does change our lives or has the opportunity to is seeing what God did. Seeing what God did through calling Jonah and then using him in the circumstances that he found himself in. And here's the thing. God wants to call us to rise up, to get up, to wake up, to answer his call, to partner with his plan and his marvelous works on this earth today. So as we think about where is God calling you, where is God calling me, we can start thinking in ourselves. Have we ever excused ourselves from ministry because we think that we're not good enough? And we could ask ourselves this, this question. What haven't you started because you have focused on your failures and not on the promises of God? you've ever focused on your sin instead of the God that forgives that sin? Have you said, I'm not good enough for that job, even if God's calling me? Because remember, if God's calling you to do something, you're the right person for the job because God's calling you to do so. Another question we can ask ourselves is this. What have you been doing that you wanted to quit 
because you haven't seen the results yet. I'm sure there was times in that storm where Jonah was feeling like, well, everything's going to end. He says, throw me overboard. And I'm sure Jonah's mind goes, well, I'm dead. That's it. God probably isn't working anymore in my life. I I did what I did, and now I'm going to be gone. And there's times in our lives where we feel like we should quit too. Maybe we haven't seen the results of God's work yet. We haven't seen the fruit. And maybe you're in a spot right now where you're serving in a ministry, you're serving somewhere, or you're doing something that you're, you're helping your neighbors come to know Jesus or your family members, and you're just ready to quit. Well, here, God is still at work. God's plan is still good. He is faithful. He can do amazing things even when we don't see him. A few months ago, maybe six months ago, I was in that boat. I've been ministering online to a board game community, playing board games, but, but really my, my prayer is to serve God and to tell people about Jesus. And I'll tell you what, I've been doing it for about two and a half years, and about six months ago I realized no one's coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior because of my conversations. In fact, I've been called names, I've been in bad conversations, I have gotten people upset from what I, I've said about Jesus, and maybe it's not worth it. Maybe I'll just save some time and I'll just stop playing. Oh, that was my prayer. I went to God and said, God, should I just stop? I want to stop. I don't want to be in these hard conversations anymore. I have other stuff I'm doing. It's my time. Maybe I did two years and that's fine. Can I get out of it? I said, God, if, if you want me to quit, please let me know. And if you don't want me to quit, please, please let me know. And I'll tell you what, that day, two people messaged me, talk about God and it was amazing conversations. Incredible. A couple weeks later, I got a, a message from someone that said, hey, I'm in Pittsburgh. Uh, you want to get together for dinner? And then we got together, and through our conversation, I was just praying, God, allow me, like, give me a window of opportunity to talk about you, where I'm not here being like, hi, my handle online is Pastor A-Rod, let me preach to you now. I wanted there to be a window of opportunity to talk to him, and he asked me about this board game auction that we do to raise money for me and Mario. He said, what's that all about? So I got to tell him about what God has been doing in an orphanage in Yangon, Myanmar, and about the miracles that he's done there. And it was a cool opportunity. Now the guy didn't leave saying, all right, let's accept Jesus, Lord, and Savior. But we got to have that conversation. A couple weeks ago, I felt a stirring in my heart to message someone just to say, hey, how was your move going? I knew he was moving, and he responded saying it was awful because during that time, his wife's younger brother, who's 21, tragically died. And so I I was able to minister to him during that time. I was able to talk to him, and God led me to the opportunity. I said, oh, wow, if I wasn't here, I wouldn't have been able to do that, and and maybe he wouldn't have been able to be encouraged in that way. And then just a couple weeks ago, I got a message from someone that said, hey, I'm having a really hard time. You're a Christian, so I figured you'd listen, and then just word vomited uh, for a while. And I did listen. And then we had a nice conversation, too. And I go, oh, man, God, I was about to quit, and you knew that this plan was happening. What am I doing? Why am I getting in my own head when you obviously know all the plans and they're good, pleasing, and perfect plans for our lives? For me and for you. God has a plan for us. God called Jonah and used that ordinary person to do some extraordinary things. And he wants to do the same with you today and throughout this summer. And if we want to do that, we can do that with this next step, which says, I will wake up, rise up, arise, and follow God's plan for my summer. God has a plan for us. Let's slow down and let's ask God, where is he at work around us? Whose lives has he put us into that he wants us to speak some truth in love? What conversations are we in that there's windows of opportunity for us to talk about God? Where does he want us to work? Because God does have a plan for you and he has one for me and it's a good plan. It's a plan that was in place a long, long time ago. 
It's kind of similar to how he sent Jesus. When we talk about Jesus already tonight, I want to talk about him a little more. See, at the very beginning of time, humans messed up. We, we sinned against God. We made a decision that, that the humans wanted to run their own lives instead of God. And what happened when we did that, when we disobeyed God, we had sin enter the world and caused a separation between God. But God's good. And he put a plan into place in that moment to send Jesus to this earth. So Jesus came and he took our sins, all those things that separate us from God, on his shoulders, and he died and rose again so that we can come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if you're here tonight and you're saying, I want to partner with that plan, but I've never done so before, here at New Life, we say it's as simple as A, B, and C. A, meaning we admit that we're sinners. We start by admitting, hey, I've fallen short. I'm not perfect. And I need someone to rescue me from sin and death. And we believe. We believe in Jesus as Lord, as Master, as God, and as Savior. And we confess. We ask for that forgiveness. And then we commit our lives to following Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit who guides and directs us as a great counselor and comforter. Right now, we're going to have an opportunity to pray. We normally do this after the last song, if if you've been with us before, but today we're going to do it right now because we're about to go into a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to pray. And if you've never done this before, I'd encourage you to pray alongside me with, with your own words and your own heart and your own mind. Make it your own. Talk to the God of the universe who loves you and created you and has a good plan for you. Would you please pray with me? Dear God, right now I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they will reach out to you right now, that they will pray to you. They'll say, dear God, I believe that you are the one true God and that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I admit that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins and make me a new creation today. Join me to your family and help me to know you as Lord and Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.